today on Ag News Daily. What led us to launching Green Market Insider was for us, it started with the farmers. So that really a farmer of any size, big or small, can afford a newsletter. Listeners, May 15th, Friday edition of the Ag News Daily Podcast, Tanner and Delaney. Hanging out again once more to have a little bit of fun this Friday, right, Delaney? Yeah, you sound very chipper today, Tanner. Uh, It's all in the way you deliver the message. (laughs) Whether it's true or not, you got to make everybody believe so. But Delaney, you said here before we hit record that you might be feeling the effect of the air quality that some of the states in the U.S. are experiencing right now due to smoke from the Canadian wildfires. That's really the only thing the National Weather Service has to release this morning. All of Montana, eastern Washington, the entirety of Nebraska and Wisconsin are all all facing poor air quality today. However, states that border those just mentioned all have some of the effects as well. The air quality advisory will be in effect in most of those states through 3 p.m. on Saturday. Air pollutants can be uh, causing breathing difficulties in children, elderly, or those with respiratory problems, and maybe even allergies. Delaney, the smoke is uh, the smoke is causing the National Weather Service to encourage the avoidance of prolonged and strenuous outdoor activity. Otherwise, we've got a frost advisory in the northern half of North Dakota. And the Southern Plains are looking at forecasted thunderstorms as well. So that's what we've got for weather this morning. You know what? When I woke up this morning, I didn't even think about that. But you're right. I saw that on the news yesterday that they're warning folks clouds could be smoggy. And if you're feeling uh, having a tough time breathing or having any sort of respiratory issues, it could be because of the rollover smoke, I guess, that we're getting from uh, the Alberta, Canada region, and and obviously a little bit westward as well. So didn't even think about this uh, this morning, Tanner, when I woke up, but maybe that is why I'm feeling a little crappy here this morning. Feeling a little hazy. Yeah, a little hazy. Well, Tanner, keeping things moving here, we have the third and final day of the wheat harvest, or excuse me, wheat tour results. And for day three, yields got slightly better. Uh, although, all in all, the Kansas wheat crop is not going to be a very favorable crop, even if we do have rains this time of year. But following the third day, the final state prediction came in as far as statewide averages. They're expecting to see about 30 bushels per acre coming out of the state of Kansas across about 6.6 million acres of wheat, according to the USDA. Now, that is down compared to years prior as far as planted acreage, but we're expecting to see based on these Kansas wheat tour results, a total of 198 million bushels of wheat coming out of the state of Kansas. However, that's USDA's USDA's guesstimates right now. The wheat tour results are pointing at a much lower production number of 178 million bushels. And that, if realized, would be 26%, almost 27% lower than normal. And uh, quite a bit higher acres of abandonment, all in all. But folks are starting now, Tanner, to compare the current Kansas wheat crop to the 1963 
Kansas wheat crop, which was about 185 million bushels, but far from good. And the results are in line with those numbers that we saw back in 1963. So we'll have to do a little more digging to uncover what else happened in 1963 and what kind of uh, resemblance will we see in this year's wheat crop. But all in all, that's what we saw coming out of the field. And, you know, we're probably about a month away, month and a half away from wheat harvest. And then we'll really get to see numbers coming out of the field. Yeah, that'll be the telltale sign. Well, Delaney, while you were reporting on that, I was trying to discover how big that wildfire is that we are experiencing the smoke from. And the only thing I can truly find in a quick look is around 25,000 people have been evacuated from their homes and businesses. Um, and as far as the size goes, it seems like it's a couple of different ones. And there is suspect of arson in the beginning of this. So I'll see if I can't find us a total acreage as far as things go. I'm gonna hit a couple of beef headlines here, rattling them off here in a row. Beef production in the U.S. next year is projected to drop 8% to 24.7 billion pounds, and tighter supplies for cattle is the reason for that. The beef, beef disappearance will fall more than 7% to 52.8 pounds per capita, so that will be the lowest since they started keeping records in 1970 we would expect to see cattle prices pushed to new highs in 2024 because of this. A core portion of the beef herd is still experiencing drought conditions, which we've reported on here, and it is not a surprise. The biggest thing, though, as we look at the cattle on feet report that were uh, going to be the issues here is, as we look back at that, is where do replacements go? And then what are we looking at for placements in feed yards? As of May 1st, we were looking at 96.7%. That is up from the range 95.9 to 96.2. Placed in April was 95.9 itself. So uh, continuing to watch where things are headed these placement figures are ranging much higher than last year, which is a positive note, but we're also looking at feeder cattle being brought in from Mexico as we put those headlines together. The last thing I've got in my strain here is profit tracking. Beef packers and cattle feeders saw pretty much no change from this week to last week. Cattle feeders saw their average profits of $340 a head, while packers still found their margins greater than $80 at $87. Cash cattle prices averaged $175.94 per hundredweight. Wholesale beef prices were down $3. Cattle sold last week, last week had a total feed cost of $571 per head. That was $20 less than the previous week, so a little additional margin squeezed out there as well. However, when we add some hogs to the mix, we're still seeing losses. We're still on the red there. Pork producers on the frail to finish side saw losses of $13 per head last week. That is a $7 per head improvement from the previous week. Pork producers saw their profits at $73 a head the same time last year. So that's a drastic change there, Delaney. 
Pork Packers lost three bucks ahead, which was pretty much the same spot that they were last year. However, for Pork Packers, they were losing $33 ahead this time last year. So there's your updates, Delaney, across the livestock industry. Well, one thing that could impact crop profitability this year is disease as we're getting into not quite disease season yet. Corteva AgriScience put out some information that June is going to be a really important month to watch for some specific de- disease. The biggest two diseases they're warning about for this growing season is tar spot and white mold. First showing up as a small dark spot raised on leaves, tar spot loves cool, wet weather, and by all accounts, we're heading into a very strong El Nino wet weather pattern. And they're saying just pay close attention to the weather, particularly during the milk to dough stage in R2 and R3. And they said as far as the white mold goes, similar weather conditions like to make soybeans Uh, susceptible to white mold during that wet weather as well, which shows up as white lesions on the nodes of soybean plant stems. So they said, just be really diligent, watch for that, and be prepared to utilize fungicides um, with double and triple modes of action and or multiple applications. Uh, This is a year they're saying you don't want to skimp on those applications, Tanner. No, that, yeah, I think what we're learning from making sure we do full rate on about everything is these headlines and articles and research all dictate. Eric Snodgrass, friend of the podcast, is cited in an AgWeb article that states the U.S. now has nearly a 90% chance of seeing an El Nino this summer rather than staying neutral. We're still dealing with the punishing drought scars left by the La Nina pattern that will obviously be uh, memories farmers in the Western Plains will not forget for years to come. But El Nino looks like it is becoming more and more likely to come about for U.S. farmers. Obviously, what that means, as we've heard from Eric and others, that it presents a really good growing condition for crops in the Midwest, but for the most part brings higher than average temperatures throughout most of the United States. Joe Vaklovic is cited stating that the USDA is assuming normal and favorable weather in regards to crop production. Those yield estimates, again, 181 and a half per bushel per acre for corn, 52 bushels per acre on soybeans. The biggest chance the El Nino will come about has been due to forecasters watching the temperature of the ocean. The warm ocean water develops in the central and east central Ecuador part of Pacific Ocean. They're now seeing here that the temperatures are rising at just a couple of tenths of degrees Celsius. But those are positive signs, according to meteorologist Eric Snodgrass, saying that it'll be favorable to the growing likelihood of the El Nino pattern. Then you throw in additional researchers and those that are associated with weather forecasting, cautioning farmers to be careful as they look at forecasts because timing is everything. Just because the percentage of the weather patterns coming this way have been increased, it does not dictate when those patterns will start. But Delaney, since 1970, we've had 17 El Nino summers and 14 of them have had trend line yields or slightly above, which means generally when we think of this, we're looking at good atmospheric conditions 
for thunderstorms. Well, that was a tough word for me here on a Friday I, you're, you're, Yeah, you're not doing so well there, Tanner. <laughs> well, as far as some other quick headlines here, Tanner, the Buenos Aires Grain Exchange once again cut their Argentine soybean crop estimates by another million and a half metric tons. Now at 21 million metric tons, as they're saying yields remain even lower than expected. They kept, however, corn production forecast at 36 million metric tons, but so far the exchange has rated the Argentine soybean crop just 4% good to excellent, which is unchanged from the week prior, 40% fair, and 56% poor to very poor. It rated the country's corn crop as just 4% good to excellent, 43% fair, and 55% poor to very poor. So they are certainly dealing with a really stressed crop tanner and soon enough we will see yields coming out of the field and get confirmation on just how dire things are down there in argentina yeah that's another thing for us to keep an eye on the dnr is certainly keeping an eye on ethanol plants and ethanol plant in north central iowa failed to maintain its equipment and limit air pollution it has repeatedly been cited for the release of potentially harmful chemicals and the Iowa Department of Natural Resources cited them with the maximum penalty of $10,000. Poet Bioprocessing in Iowa Falls has been cited that penalty. Poet's based out of South Dakota, has 33 facilities in eight different states, but this is the most recent penalty for them. But also other news as it is Mental Health Awareness Month, Penn State is launching their Farm Mental Health Podcast. So if you are a podcast listener that enjoys finding new content, listeners, jump on over to the Farm Stress Real Talk podcast. It is focused on supporting farmers and farm families and workers in the agriculture industry who are experiencing stress, which we all do. Ginger Fenton, the dairy extension educator, notes that podcasts are convenient resources for farmers and is a non-invasive way to potentially provide help for those that need it. So check out the Farm Stress Real Talk podcast. Well, Tanner, we, after the announcement of the Ukraine Corridor Initiative, saw three new ships authorized on Thursday to take part in the deal allowing safe passage through the Black Sea Corridor. According to the United Nations, as global wheat prices fell further a day after Russia agreed to extend the pack for more than 60 days. So we've seen now a couple of deals brokered. And again, these are just kind of Band-Aid attempts to get things moving along. But the United Nations Secretary General said on Wednesday he hoped a comprehensive agreement could now be reached to improve, expand, and extend the Black Sea export deal. However, that's really not what we got, Tanner. We did see wheat prices yesterday fall pretty significantly to a two-week low, down about 2%, and slid another 3% on Wednesday after speculation that the deal was going to be extended was announced. And so as we head into our final Friday session, certainly saw a lot of weakness in the grain market standard. Yeah, I uh, I can't wait to see where things are opening today. But the last thing I've got is just headlines again coming out of Russia and Ukraine. President Zelensky will travel to Hiroshima to attend the G7 summit in person following his attendance with the Arab League summit in Saudi Arabia. 
the G7 leaders are looking at additional sanctions against Russia, saying their support for Ukraine will not waver. Kiev's long-anticipated counteroffensive seems imminent as Ukraine military continues to make gains along the front lines. However, there is some speculation, Delaney, that this might have already been the counteroffensive. So we'll see if headlines next week ramp up for progression on the Ukrainian side. And quite suspiciously, the Biden administration states there's been an accounting error in assessing the value of military support that the U.S. has given to Ukraine, which should miraculously free up an additional $3 billion for potential additional aid. So those are my headlines there coming out of that conflict. Is it about time for markets? I think it is, Tanner, as we head into today's final trading session of the week. March, or excuse me, old crop corn is flirting with $5, trying to break back above it here this morning. And the July corn contract is on track to end the week with a loss, Tanner, which uh, would certainly be one of the biggest losses we've seen in quite some time as it's struggling here Soybeans and soybean meal and oil are also trading higher a little bit this morning with support from higher crude oil and a lower U.S. dollar. But wheat really is still kind of trading the impact of the Ukraine deal that was extended there, as well as Russia planning to discuss wheat and meat exports at a Chinese business forum later next week that it sounds like they'll attempt to expand exports to China. So that's actually a little bit of positive news there for the markets to chew through as it might take some global supply off the marketplace there. But as we head into the final trading session here, we actually got a little bit of a pop in the overnight. Can we sustain this, though, is the big question today. July corn, three cents higher in the overnight to open at 558 and a quarter. Dece new crop corn added seven pennies in the overnight to open at 507 and three quarters. July soybeans added eight cents in the overnight to clock in at 1341 and a quarter. November new crop beans added 16 and a quarter cents to open at 1203 and a quarter. July hard red winter wheat added seven and a half cents in the overnight. We'll clock in this morning at 864 and a half and a quick look at where livestock markets Closed for the day yesterday, we saw lots of positive momentum in the cattle complex, continuing that upward push. June live cattle added 70 cents. We'll open this morning at buck sixty-five fifty-two. August feeders added $3.35 yesterday to open this morning at two thirty-four fifty. And June lean hogs even got a nice little bump yesterday of 42 and a half cents, clocking in this morning at 85.30. Tanner for today's Friday conversation we are chatting about a new grain marketing newsletter service available for farmers. So let's turn it over to that conversation. Well, folks, we're going to be chatting about a new grain marketing newsletter service that launched recently by Stuart Peterson, chatting today with Brad Peterson of Stuart Peterson and Grain, Micro- grain Market Insider, the new newsletter, Brad, that you guys have launched there at Stuart Peterson. Super excited to learn more about the newsletter and talk about it with for our listeners. Yeah, thank you. I'm really happy to be here and excited to talk about that as well. So Brad, we have Naomi Bloom on the podcast often and chat a lot about the commodity markets. But one question I think of clarity for our listeners, Stuart Peterson or Total Farm Marketing, what's the difference there? 
Yeah, really good question and good to clarify right up front. So um, in all actuality, they are the same company. Um, we started off as Stuart Peterson back in 1985. And about five, six years ago, uh, we transitioned to the name Total Farm Marketing. So you'll probably hear us most often in the industry as Total Farm Marketing by Stuart Peterson. Um, really, the goal is just to better explain uh, for the farmer what we actually do, which is help with Total Farm Marketing out on the farm. So as you guys have focused on your clients over the last uh, period of time, what's something that you really enjoy doing that your clients see the most value in? Yeah, you know, I would say that what makes us different as a firm is the approach that we take to, to risk management to the markets in general. So we, we've always believed that nobody can consistently predict all the time where the market is going to go, whether that be the grain markets or the dairy markets. And we've always taken the approach that rather than try to outguess the market, which I think is a losing game, rather, how do we prepare our customers for whatever the market might do and really look at the analytics and the math behind decision-making to help make put, put the farmer in a comfortable position that way um, given volatility and uncertainty in the market, um, they're in a position where they can um, sleep well at night, um, hopefully knowing that their uh, downside is protected, but at the same time, have enough opportunity that uh, they, they feel comfortable on the upside as well. So Brad, I mean, we've got to be honest here. There's a lot of grain marketing newsletter type of services out there in the industry. Why did you guys decide to launch your own newsletter service and what makes it different than some of the other ones out there? Yeah, really good question. And I would say what led us to um, launching Grain Market Insider was uh, it all for us, it started with the farmer. So um, I come from a family farm background. Um, so again, it's personal for me as well, but we, we really do care about farmers, regardless of if they're a customer of ours or not. And we really believe that we can provide peace of mind in their marketing decisions. So um, we looked at this as there's a lot of services out there, like you mentioned, Delaney, but the feedback we, we have received from farmers was that there's nothing that really checks all the boxes for what a farmer was looking for in a newsletter. Um, and I'm talking recommendations, market information, commentary, all those different aspects of a newsletter. So what we did is we, we did a lot of farmer surveys and that showed us and validated um, what farmers are looking for um, and also what their pain points are um, and well, what, they, what they don't like about what they're getting. So the goal through all of that was to provide an affordable newsletter that's going to check all those boxes for the farmer and ultimately help them um, with their farm livelihood. So um, what makes us different? We took the time to listen to the farmers, know what they really want, what they didn't want. Um, and then we structured Grain Market Insider in a way that we can deliver that um, and deliver it with confidence to the farmer so that they can make confident marketing decisions. So you've mentioned it is a paid subscription. So how do listeners go about getting signed up and what does that process look like? Yeah, excellent question. So it is a paid subscription. 
Um, we kept it at a low affordable price of $39.99 per month. And we really did that to um, make it so that really a farmer of any size, big or small, um, can, can afford a newsletter uh, priced at that price point. So, um, but to get guys started, um, what we're doing is we're offering a 30-day, uh, no obligation, um, no credit card, nothing needed, um, just a 30-day free trial to Grain Market Insider. Uh, that way, your listeners, the farmers, can see for themselves what makes us different and how we can potentially help their operation. So to get that, um, they can go right to our website. It's grainmarketinsider.com. And right on top, there's going to be a free trial sign-up button. We'll also share a link to sign up for a free trial listeners in our show notes for today. But Brad, as far as what's actually included in the service, give us a little more insight as to what farmers can expect to receive. How many times a day are they getting notified and what kind of information is going to be in this newsletter? Yeah, happy to talk about that. I do want to pause for one quick moment and just state that Great Market Insider is actually provided by our publishing company, which is Stuart Peterson Incorporated. So I do want to say, keep in mind, there is risk in uh, futures and options when those tools are used. So um, now that we've covered that, let's talk about Great Market Insider. So Great Market Insider is what we believe is your a farmer's single source for specific grain information, commentary, and recommendations, along with most importantly, the why behind those recommendations. We, we heard that a lot from farmers when we were researching and launching this product is they would get a lot of recommendations, but they never really were told why behind those recommendations. So we're very specific in giving that reason and explanation to our subscribers. So Great Market Insider was created to be easy to understand, uh, be affordable, like I said, um, for grain farmers of any size operation. Um, we like to say it is all the information a farmer wants and nothing more. So um, we're real conscious of everyone's time and giving them exactly what they need and want to make some good decisions. So in terms of the actual deliverables that you asked about Delaney, we provide daily email commentary for the farmer uh, three times a day. So there's gonna be a sunrise, a midday, and then a end of day update as well. There's going to be around five cash marketing recommendations per crop year. So you can think of that as a sell signal, as an example. Um, and the reason we say about five um, is going to vary depending on the crop, the commodity, as well as the year. But it's good. the goal is to be a very manageable number um, so that you're not getting sell signals all the time. Again, that was one of the things we heard from farmers when we did our surveys was some services, they get... 20, 25 plus sell signals over the course of the year. And that's just too many. Um, they're sold out after the first five, six, seven, and then everything else kind of becomes uh, irrelevant to them. So um, very manageable amount of sell signals. And I think it's really important to say that these sell signals are not just technically driven. So again, others in the industry, um, they might look at only a technical indicator or stochastics or something like that. Um, but we also tie in sound marketing principles, fundamentals, technicals, you, you name it. It's all tied into what drives the recommendations. 
So um, we're certainly not gray market insiders and going to tell you to keep selling um, all your crop during a drought as an example. It does tie in some real sound marketing principles. 